All right, it's that time again, friends. The What's Right Show about to begin. Sam Rajofsky here, your host. Um, yeah, well, listen, that music disappeared rather fast, but nonetheless, we're proceeding here according to plan. Um, I have a question for you. It's pretty straightforward, right? Imagine this. You, you are a... Um, hardworking person, right? We know this, right? You and I, we both have our jobs that we do and uh, go to work, pay our bills. And maybe right now with prices where they are, cost of living going up, rent, uh, every time you go to the grocery store, those numbers are just getting astronomical, right? It is affecting you and it is cutting into your family budget. Now, at this same exact time that you are struggling to make ends meet, the state that you are living in decides to award your neighbor, give him and his family a $250,000 check. And that check is for just him having a certain color of skin. Now, I bring it up in these terms because this is exactly what is being proposed in California right next door. I've talked about this before. It's gaining steam. While we were busy talking about the State of the Union speech, the California Secretary of State kind of laid out some of her vision for how this all goes down or how she perceives it ought to go down. And she's part of the committee there in the state of California looking to implement reparations taken in the form of, made in the form of payments uh, to residents of California who are African-American and as such have been impacted by quote-unquote systemic racism. Now, I, the reason I ask the question this way because I believe firmly that it is within our power as Americans to move to a place where we are uh, living in a post-racial society where we don't see color. And if we see it, it m is meaningless to us. Because for generations like, for example, mine, where I went to school, we were taught about Martin Luther King and being essentially, not just being colorblind, but just seeing no differences in each other, being taught that, that we're all created equal. I think doing that for successive generations, working toward that goal, will result in people not, be, not being as prejudiced as they maybe once were. But my concern is, and I'm just throwing this out there, if these uh, race hustlers, these con artists that are pushing all of this insane woke reparations nonsense on us get their way. I think it's going to set back all of us tremendously because while I think, you know, I probably would be able to keep my feelings in check, a lot of people are going to look at this and, and, and strongly believe it's unfair. It will grow resentments and create problems and only exacerbate the problem that this 
uh, supposedly is intended to ameliorate. So what do I mean by all this? California secretary, and we've got, listen, here in Nevada, you know, the What's Right show, we are live and local in beautiful downtown Las Vegas, but I'm always a little nervous as Nevada's favorite recovering ex-Californian, what is going on next door? And the reason for that is, uh, and I just saw today's news, was a record number of, Nev- of Californians have moved to, to Nevada, both Northern Nevada and here in the Las Vegas area. And they're bringing their ideas with them. And my concern is that this insanity is going to spread perhaps even to our own backyard. So here's what's going on in California. Secretary of State says that California can lead the nation in black reparations. She gave a speech on Tuesday, uh, this at Sacramento State, and here's, uh, here's what she said. She gets into what this all is about, and she talks about, well, she talks about uh, the reasons why California, as a non-slave state, non-slave state, ought to be giving reparations. Listen to this. Some asked, why California? California is this golden state. It wasn't a part of the Jim Crow laws. It didn't have slavery. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a slave state. But when you begin to look at California and you read the history of the first governor of California, he was real clear that he did not want African-Americans in the state of California. He did not believe they deserved to have any kind of support or education. He also believed the same thing about our Native Americans and felt that this should be our time of extinction, that we should eliminate all of these folks out of California. And, and slavery was allowed to exist in California. Even though we didn't do slave trade, so they brought in slaves from across the nation to work in California for free. And so when you talk about the greatness and the wealth of California, a lot of that was built on the backs of, of African Americans in areas and communities around the state. Now, I, I want you to... Uh, appreciate for a moment that she is complaining about the racist attitudes attitude of a governor that left office in 1851 first governor of california peter hardman burnett was in office from 1849 to 1851 california by the way incidentally uh in well, what was this? Yeah, he, I mean, there, look, it had some very diverse governors, okay? Um, I, I, I'm, I, I'm just, it's mind-blowing. But then she continues her speech, and this is where it just gets absolutely horrifying. Uh, she gets into the idea of how much money, right? How much money should it be? for reparations, for all this bad stuff that has happened to people in California. Listen to this. So when people ask about it, it's 250, what do you think about $250,000? I turn it back to them and say, is it enough for you? If your legacy, your parents, your grandparents, my grandparents never voted in California, never got a chance to vote in this United States because they were part of, of uh, the Jim Crow laws in the 60s. And uh, they died in 1965, the Voting Rights Act. So would that be enough for you? Would that be enough to live in terror, to live in fear as they did every day, and for my father to have to leave the South because of Jim Crow and because obviously they were going to lynch him. So would that be enough to leave all your family, your land, everything in Arkansas and have to come to California to try to create a new life? Would that be enough? Most people would say no. I want a little bit more than that. So for something that another state, Arkansas, did to this lady's grandparents, 
She believes that the state of California should give her $250,000 and that that still is not enough. I cannot, I cannot emphasize strongly enough how insane these people are. And my worry, my real fear is that this will only further exacerbate any existing racial divisions. Another state, Boston, is doing something similar. In fact, they got themselves in the news because uh, Boston, Mayor, excuse me, Massachusetts might be doing its own thing. This is the city of Boston is looking to pay reparations to African-Americans, and they've set up a committee. This is great. There's 10 people on the committee. Now, two of them are high schoolers, and one of them's a college student. High school juniors Damani Williams and Denison Fanfan, uh, who are, I guess, there's also a 22-year-old University of Massachusetts student and Black Lives Matter organizer Carrie Mays, uh, were named to the city's reparations task force on Tuesday. Now, the Daily Mail um, writes here something that can be described best as a tremendous understatement. It's unclear, quote, what expertise the two high school schooler high schoolers will provide close quote imagine i have a i have a freshman at home uh who attends uh, school here in las vegas i am trying to picture some of his his friends that are a couple years older than him having anything uh to contribute to a a, a, a group that is going to make a proposal to government officials of how to redistribute wealth this to me is, it, it's, it's, it's ludicrous, but it, we have to, folks, we have to take this stuff seriously. It's out there. Now, I'll tell you, it, it, it's just because it's only happening in Boston and New York and a little bit in California, San Francisco cities going for it individually, right? You've got these different political entities pushing this does not mean that there is no risk to us here in Nevada. Trust me, folks, this is coming at us. And at some point, sooner or later, it's going to gain steam at the federal level. Mark my words. All right, got to take a quick break here. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, welcome back. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, your host. Always right, rarely wrong. Here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Uh, right. By the way, I'm reading here. I'm catching up on this during the break. Apparently, you know Project Veritas? This is a company founded by James O'Keefe. O'Keefe is the undercover uh, journalist. He uh, got his chops originally by uh, posing uh, as a... If I remember the story right, he was posing as a, well, as a, as a, uh, as a pimp (laughs) and was trying to apply for government funding and he got it all on tape and he, he, he basically was able to, you know, this was during the Obama era, giving away free money and all that stuff to, this is, and and it was just, he really exploded onto the scene. Ultimately, of course, he had, uh, 
been burned enough times where people knew his face, so he could no longer do it. So he'd recruit other people to go undercover and exposed a number of 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 of, of things and let a number of stories that uh, ultimately got Project Veritas a, quite a large following. Apparently, he's been dismissed uh, from uh, Project Veritas. There's some back and forth as to why it happened. Um, and uh, the board of directors there uh, are apparently forcing him out. So as I, as I sniff around on this, I'll report back. This is a developing story uh, today. So I'll follow that. Interesting. By the way, it's, it's not going to be him. Project Veritas doesn't exist without James O'Keefe. He is the brand and the face of it, in spite of the fact not being the, the person doing the, the investigative work. So um, I don't know where this goes. At any rate, at any rate, look, uh, oh, I'm telling you, this is, uh, we were just before the break talking about these uh, reparations payments. And, um, and, and, and by the way, there's one of the proposals, uh, try to picture this, one of the proposals in the California reparation system is that some people would receive millions of dollars up to $5 million. And again, I wanna, I wanna emphasize that California was, was never a slave state. And also that the people that are getting these payments are not necessarily folks that are directly impacted by any of these uh, grievances that they claim to have. I just played a clip from the California Secretary of State talking about what happened under Jim Crow to her grandparents in Arkansas. She was complaining, what is that worth? You, you say 250 grand. I say maybe that's not enough, as her direct quote. So I have to say, I'm looking at this again as a lawyer, and I, I do this from time to time because, of course, that's my day job, and I, I consider the basis by which someone in a court of law can be compensated for a wrong done to them, right? So if, if there is an intentional act that someone does that harms another person or perhaps a negligent act, right? A negligent act, I'll give you an example, a car accident, right? That's usually, usually, right? Although this is Vegas, so uh, sometimes these accidents are not accidental. But you have, uh, you have an accident that occurs, you, just, you didn't mean to hit somebody, but you do, and there's, there's a direct effect onto that person. Property damage, medical expenses, what have you. If you do something to someone, you have to prove, and, and you suffer damage, you have to prove that person has to, if there's a third party that wants to be compensated, then you have to prove a causal link. You have to, you have to go to the court and actually show that you are affected by it. And, and by the way, laws limit this type of third party recovery um, and, and don't allow it. I'll give you an example. Um, the, the, the type of, 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 a, of associated harm that uh, is compensable, for example, is in a case where you have a husband and wife, a married couple, and there's an injury and, and the partner can claim damages of his or her own on the basis of the fact that their partner is, is injured and that they have to care for them and that they, their, their, their marriage isn't the same as it was when both were healthy. We call this a loss of consortium claim. 
But that one is allowed. But you're in no court of law are you in the U.S. able to recover for injuries that were uh, were were done to a, a dead relative. That, that that's like that's not possible. Cannot happen. And it and it it absolutely mystifies me. And I think I don't know. No, nobody's really tackling this on on a legal basis. It'll be interesting to see if these schemes ultimately get challenged in court. And uh, if they're, because of course, anyone who is a taxpayer in a state where they try to push this kind of stuff has, I think, a claim against the state, has a, as, is, is a stakeholder in this. And, and I think could present, could present a case uh, or, or a grievance uh, to the courts and, and sue to have this, have this blocked. I, it'll, be inter- it'll depend, of course, on the state constitutions. Because again, this is state money. It's not federal money. It would not go to the you know, Supreme Court. Likely, it's something that has to be adjudicated within each state. But it is this, we have to watch the story because it is, it's gonna get, it's gonna get absolutely crazy and i i still think as i said before that some of this could begin to to start pop, start popping up at the federal level and just imagine friends for a moment that democrats get control of the house of representatives and the senate and judging by some of the radical members there i i this would be a proposal that could very easily uh begin to start uh, percolating so that's that's something to watch. All right, now I have to, in a moment, take a break. But when we come back, what I want to get into here, I, I, I don't know if you've seen this this news. There's, <laughs> well, we're getting, we'll get to some of the stuff going on in Capitol Hill. Yes, there have been some fireworks uh, related to Twitter. Those um, those conversations are ongoing. But one of the things here that is absolutely mystifying to me is this. Now this allegation, there's an article yesterday that came out in the Daily Mail that alleges that the Nord Stream pipeline may have actually been done in by us, by Americans, by the Navy. Now, if you haven't seen the story, it's, it's interesting. There are some sources from within the, well, people with direct knowledge of what went down uh, that have apparently gone on the record and spoken about it. If you remember, the Nord Stream pipeline is a pipeline that was built uh, to convey natural gas from Russia to uh, Western Europe. And it did, uh, some months ago, mysteriously blow up. And there's been, there's been a lot of speculation about it. And of course, very damaging to Russia because Russia was hoping to be able to pump natural gas to Western Europe. And also, mind you, also, this was also very interesting because Russia, Western Europe was beholden, is beholden to gas coming out of, coming out of the Russian Federation and were less likely to help Ukraine until this pipeline went away. And then, of course, there was no means of getting the gas over and that stranglehold sort of went away. So there's some very interesting points about this. I want to play the tape on comments that uh, that President Biden made a year ago. I'll see what you think about this, what it means to you. All right, friends, don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will continue after this. Sam Burchofsky here, News Talk 840. 
KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, your host. Yes, reporting for duty. Bottom of the hour here. Uh, having lots of fun and always, always uh, trying to make sense of these things going on in the troubled, these troubled times. All right. Here's a head scratcher. And I have a take on this that I have not heard anywhere yet. So just permit me to give you that opinion in a moment. But let me set this up. So the Nord Stream pipeline, this doesn't really necessarily affect any of us here in Southern Nevada, except that this is was this was a critical piece of infrastructure, uh, a, a pipeline under the North Sea in Europe that was built to convey natural gas from Russia to Western Europe. One of the things that, by the way, um, side note, Trump was very right about this when he repeatedly warned European lawmakers, presidents, heads of state, anyone that would listen that they were, well, they were, they, they were had over a barrel by Russia because they were so dependent on Russian natural gas. And the Europeans, of course, being the green freaks that they are, did not want to build new power plants and instead decided to import clean-burning natural gas from Russia. And as a consequence, they ended up in a place that at the beginning of the war with Ukraine, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, very few European countries wanted to stand up to Russia for fear that they would be cut off right before the winter. So this was a this was a, a an issue, it was an ongoing issue and we know this, right? Energy independence is vital. We understand it in the US. Midway through Trump's term, we were energy independent. It matters. Imagine a world where we're suddenly, like we are now, dependent on countries that maybe don't necessarily like us very much on our natural uh, fuels and resources, such as, for example, when we are beholden to the Saudis and other Middle Eastern countries for, for gas, for petrol, uh, and that creates all sorts of political problems for us. So I bring this all up because this pipeline uh, blew up. And this was a, a perplexing thing when it occurred. Um, the, the, this was, nobody was taking credit for it. We thought maybe some Ukrainian saboteurs went in and blew it up. Uh, this happened in June of last year. But apparently there is a new report that said that it was the U.S. Navy who sent divers down to plant C4 explosives and put a $500 million hole in a critical piece of infrastructure. Apparently, according to the Daily Mail, the attack was carried out in response to Putin's invasion of Ukraine and was designed to force Germany and other European nations to end their reliance on natural gas. Now, that's the, that's the theory here. This is, uh, you know, this, this, this may or may not be true, but I will submit to you uh, some, uh, some clips of Biden and of senior department 
uh, Biden administration department officials who have spoken about or did speak contemporaneously before this explosion took place. Mind you, this happened in June. So all the way back in, let's see, the 27th of January, so a little over a year ago, Victoria Newland, the number two person at the State Department, longtime Ukrainian uh, involvement person there, was asked by reporters uh, if she had talked to Germany and if she's confident Nord Stream 2 will not go ahead in terms of completion if Russia invades the country. Listen to what she said. This is, call it uh, five months before the pipe blew up. I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. I want to be clear with you today. This is back in January of 22. If Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Well, it seems pretty direct. Roughly a week and a half later, Joe Biden, president of the United States, in a joint news conference with his counterpart, the chancellor of Germany, Olaf Scholz, was asked about Russian troop buildup on Ukraine's border. This is before the Russians actually invaded. A Reuters reporter asked Biden uh, if he's received assurances Germany would pull the plug on the Nord Stream pipeline if Russia were to invade. Here is Biden's response. If Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again. Then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. What do, what, how, will you, how will you do that exactly? since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control. We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. <laughs> what does that sound like to you? Now, here's my take. You want my take? I'm going to tell you. I, I, I think he, uh, I, I think what he says here by this, this last line, this is typical Joe Biden riffing. But I think it's very possible that it was, if it did not happen at the hands of the US, that it was their intent to do it, but that he revealed too much with his loose lips and addled brain, he revealed too much in this press conference, in this answer, potentially compromising, of course, our advantage, which is, let's just say you go and do this kind of thing. There's no upside to anyone knowing about it. This is why, by the way, the State Department and the White House both have called this report in the Daily Mail a total and complete fiction, which is usually language you hear from folks over at the, uh, uh, you know, yeah, the Chinese, you know, the Chinese government, they call things a fiction, things like that. They throw words around like so I, I mean it is entirely possible that this was done by the Americans it isn't it's it's I don't I don't doubt it necessarily but I think it was risky of Biden to I don't know to reveal too much in that press where he just really wanted to be in control in charge and say that this was something that uh, that we had done now strategically 
strategically, by the way, let's talk this through. Because I'll tell you my, my view on, on Ukraine. I desperately want Russia to lose. I strongly want Ukraine to win. I want to achieve that result with as little uh, American involvement as possible. And that's just me being selfish as an American. I, I want to preserve our assets. I want to preserve our, uh, our military equipment. We need to hold on to it. I'm worried that we are sending an enormous amount of equipment uh, to, to, to Ukraine and, and that, you know, it, it, to the extent that it will deplete our own reserves, gosh forbid that we have an actual threat to our homeland, homeland, right? So I like the idea of doing things that strategically force the Europeans to step up and, and, and take a stand and, and, and obviously removing a dependency or an ability to be dependent on the Russians, uh, it was certainly, I, well, it did prove to be, to be motivating. Uh, and, and consequently, Germany's been lagging behind, but other European countries that also benefited, would have benefited from the gas and were staying out the fight, ended up getting more involved and devoting more resources to fighting uh, and helping, I should say, helping Ukraine. So this, you know, this is interesting stuff going on on the other end of the world, but uh, certainly affects us. And I know there's a debate, folks. I know there's a debate within the party about what it is that we ought to be doing, to what extent. I applaud Republicans in Congress for looking into oversight for this money. I do not want a giant black hole of funding going to Ukraine, not being overseen by anyone. I think that's a recipe for disaster. Plus, remember, Hunter, he's got those connections over there with Burisma. Who knows how much of this cash is, you know, ending up in, in his art fund. $500,000 masterpieces that buy, you know, whatever. Absolutely insane. All right, friends, got to run here. Quick break. I'll be back in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show continues after this. Sam Rajofsky here. Yes, this hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234, because you deserve lawyers that share your values. All right. The earthquake in Turkey, it's just going from bad to worse. Over 20,000 dead now in Turkey and Syria, uh, creating a problem there for their strong man, uh, dictator, more or less, the president of Turkey. Uh, yeah, Erdogan is is looking uh, very, very weak by this. Uh, so he's been both the prime minister and the president for the past 20 years. <laughs> so imagine, God, imagine having somebody like Biden around for 20 years leading the country. It's kind of nice. These people shuffle through once in a while. Of course, uh, I could have used a few more years with Trump, but alas, was not meant to be. So yeah, last 20 years he's been president. He came into power after a major earthquake in uh, response to the then government not doing enough. So people are speculating maybe this could um, turn the tables. These events have a way of of shifting public opinion. 20,000 dead just absolutely staggering. Wow. All right, back at home, I'm gonna get into this 
uh, here after the break. I wanna, I'll set this up because it's a big local story. There was a, a lawsuit uh, here uh, related to a uh, medical malpractice claim. Now, I'll get to, I'll get more into this later, but I just I, if you're curious as to how medical malpractice works, and if you approach it from the uh, I would say typical conservative perspective, in that trial lawyers are bad, okay, and uh, doctors are good, then I would uh, ask you humbly to give me a moment of your time here at the top of the hour to share with you a case of a uh, local woman here in, in Vegas. Uh, she just uh, got a big award from a jury. I'll explain why that is not quite what it seems. And, you know, and, and go through the case for why it's important to hold physicians accountable. Um, all right, so we'll get into that here after a break. I saw this other story locally. I always talk about this here. Uh, apparently, a local attorney who is uh, suspected of stealing from uh, from stealing money from clients now apparently is stealing money from kids. And this story is, I, I, I think, you you know how I feel about the honor of practicing law. I am an attorney here in Las Vegas. My firm, Sam and Ash, has been around for a little over three years. I used to have a big firm. Uh, that I built up over many years in Los Angeles and California uh, when I lived there. And I can tell you that when a lawyer steals once, they steal again and again and again. And there are many high-profile cases of where this happens and goes down. So this, uh, this is a lady named Jean Metzger. I don't know her. She was arrested February 2nd, released on bail the next day. And then uh, apparently... Uh, following her release on bail for stealing from clients, she then made 10 separate purchases using money from Tonopah High School Rodeo Club. This is, I guess the purchases total three grand. So she decides to sell, steal three grand from a high school. This is after she's been accused of stealing uh, over $140,000 from former clients. And uh, absolutely uh, crazy. So, um, all right, this this kind of stuff it just it boils my blood. Now, I'll tell you, and I say this over and over again: if you have money with your lawyer at, at any point in time, if you're if there's a client trust account, there's um, any form of money that is being held by your lawyer, always make sure you get an accounting of it. Typically, for example, in a personal injury case. You should be getting your net proceeds in about two to three months. If you're not getting it within two or three months, I mean, I'll tell you, it does happen. There are some cases that do take a while. Uh, call your lawyer. Make sure you have a full understanding of why you're not getting it. You should get some partial money if you're entitled to that. If you're getting a runaround and the lawyer is saying things like, the check is in the mail, I'm going to FedEx it, I'll take care of it today, I'll take care of it tomorrow, that kind of thing. Uh, that is um, absolutely, um, absolutely a huge red flag that you need to pay attention to. So just telling you a little bit of inside baseball on this stuff. Uh, these things happen. They happen right here in Vegas. They happen all over the country. Uh, by the way, 
uh, again, uh, I'll tell you, the case against Tom Girardi, which is probably one of the biggest frauds of this type, tens of millions of dollars of client funds missing. These are cases related to people who had truly catastrophic injuries, loss of life, uh, folks that lost family members. Uh, and, and, and look, um, yeah, there's just no excuse for it. And I'm, in that case, at least, the federal, uh, the federal prosecutors came down on him in both Chicago and L.A. and hopefully now will yield some form of prosecution. Absolutely shameful. Now, finally here, before the end of the hour, I do want to talk about Disney briefly. There, there's, I, yesterday I was telling you about DeSantis. And we, we went over his, you know, it's, and it, again, it's not a done deal. It's, a, it's legislation that has just been filed. It hasn't been voted on. It's, it hasn't been signed into law by the governor. But it would strip Disney, uh, it, particularly in Walt, and it's Walt Dis, related to Walt Disney World. It's their special district. And we talked about this yesterday, how this is going to be, if it does pass, absolutely devastating to Disney's operations in Orlando, because right now they've been able to exist basically as a uh, kind of a, 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 an independent government of sorts. Uh, easy to approve projects. They are tax exempt. It's a nice deal. And it goes all the way back to the 60s, what was put in place by Disney, uh, Walt Disney and uh, his brother. So this is, that's the background. But I have to tell you, the bigger issue going on right now if you've been following this, is that Disney Plus, the streaming service, is hemorrhaging money to the tune of something like $5 billion, $6 billion a year. And today the news uh, is that uh, the CEO, uh, Bob Iger, has agreed. He's got a, they're doing massive layoffs, 7,000 people. They've got investors, activist investors that are pushing Disney to be less woke, more on that in a second. And as a consequence now, he has pledged to step down, make these cuts, and start to right the ship over at Disney. I, I want to point something out. All of these programs, we talked about a couple of them earlier in the week, you know, this anti-white CRT pushing cartoon that Disney Plus is putting out, the Hulu 1619 documentary, etc. All of this stuff I think is starting to cause a revolt against Disney Plus and people are bailing on it. And it is a, it is a, it is a very um, important observation to make. And I don't know that the company necessarily is putting two and two together, but the activist investors, the people that are major shareholders of Disney are literally screaming right now at the CEO and, and at the board and anybody that will listen to get back to the basics of entertaining America. These are people who are not political. They're into making money. And their advice to Disney is enough. Cut it out. You are placing your opinions, your, your, your ideology ahead of profit. And this is the same self-destructive nonsense we saw from all of, the, all of the folks that allowed themselves to come down with long-term cases of Trump derangement syndrome, right? All the people out there who went bananas and decided that whatever the, whatever the means were, they were, and, and however horrific, they were justified because bringing down Trump, Trump was so bad that it justified burning everything down. 
And the problem with Disney is it's a publicly traded company. So they are burning down not just themselves, but all the people that have invested their money into stocks and are co-owners of the business. And that's the real story here. It, and I hope, I hope, I hope that Disney sees the light. All right, when we come back, bringing it back to Vegas here, a big verdict came down in a case, multi-millions of dollars for a woman injured by some doctors. I'll share that story with you. Um, it's in the RJ right now, but I'll take it beyond the headline, explain to you how these cases work. And for those of you Republicans that think we ought to go easy on doctors, let me give me give me an opportunity to change your mind. All right, friends, got to run. Sam Rajovsky here in the news up next. I'll be back for a second hour in just a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the second hour here of the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky in studio, beautiful downtown Las Vegas, live and local, every day now, 1 to 3 p.m. That started this week, and um, it's going it's going well. My voice is holding on for dear life. I remember, I may have shared this before, but I remember when I had an hour-long uh, program uh, in LA years ago, and and then I, I bumped up to two hours. And I remember that first transition of going from one hour to two hours. And you'd think that even for someone like me, who I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I do a lot of talking, not just on the radio, that that extra hour would not make a difference. But it's crazy. It does. Yeah, I'm. I I I, I feel it. I think by by Friday afternoon, I'm, I might be a little hoarse. So looking forward to the weekend. Plus, I, I just got to drink a lot of tea because the air is, is it's dry here, you know, and it's, that it does not help. So friends, thank you for bearing with me. I promise my voice will improve as uh, I do more of this and, and get into a regular rhythm. Now, I, I want to share with you really a tragic case. Um, I saw this today. Uh, because the the verdict just came through on Tuesday. There's a five-week trial here uh, in Las Vegas. This is a a woman, a local woman, Amy Geiler. Now, in 2020, she filed a lawsuit over the way that her uh, care was handled at Mountain View Hospital and Mountain's Edge Hospital. Uh, Apparently, she came in with a head injury. And, uh, you know, there is a very specific protocol of how you handle head injuries, head trauma cases. And those of you who are physicians, you will uh, understand this, of course. And then there, in her particular case, she, when she came in, she had very, very low sodium levels. And these, uh, this is something that doctors have to be mindful of because they, if they raise your sodium levels with the brain injury too quickly, um, what will happen is, is that the, your, your, your cells will actually begin to swell and it can cause permanent brain damage. Now, what this resulted in uh, for Ms. Geiler is she ended up with something called a locked-in syndrome. So her brain is functioning, 
but she can't move. I don't, I don't know if I can think of, uh, of anything uh, more horrifying. So uh, some researchers believe that you know, you're, you're basically fully functioning. You're there. You just cannot communicate. You cannot move. Eventually, people learn how to communicate as she does through blinking, you know, multiple blinks and being able to give answers. Uh, for example, yes or no questions and developing a code by which to communicate with caregivers and loved ones. It is horrifying. And the thing that's horrifying about it is that it's preventable. And look, I, I understand that there is a, a strong belief, particularly among conservatives, that we need to leave the doctors alone and that these evil trial lawyers, they come along and they seek to inflict maximum economic pain on doctors. And as a consequence, the cost of medical care goes up and up, etc. Now, I'm going to give you a different view of this, because, by the way, the, the resulting uh, legislation that comes into place are caps on the amount that you can recover. So this woman, her attorneys were able to get her for her injury. The jury awarded $47 million. 35 of that was uh, non-economic damages, pain and suffering. Now that $35 million, by the way, that's capped in the state of Nevada at, at $350K. That will automatically get reduced to 350K. You want to talk about reparations and what something is and is not worth? Having grandparents that suffered in Arkansas, speaking now to the California Secretary of State, if you missed that portion of the show, go to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey app, go on there, What's Right Show. Look, if, if that's worth 250K, somebody who had an actual medical malpractice inflicted on her where a jury awards $35 million, it gets reduced down in the state of Nevada to 350K. A lot of states all across the U.S. have similar limits. Now, what's the net result of this? So I'll tell you, first off, I, I believe uh, uh, generally that our healthcare is the best in the world. I have unfortunately on several occasions had to uh, experience healthcare elsewhere in, in countries that are first world. I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. And I'm always happy to be back home because I think we do things better here. But, 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 we Republicans, we conservatives, we believe in accountability. That is a tenet for me of what it is to be a conservative. We also don't believe in price fixing. Just know that economically it doesn't work. We have to, we have to figure out a way to compensate people when a real wrong is done to them. Not a frivolous lawsuit. This is not about taking a pound of flesh from a doctor who makes a whoopsie-daisy. What do you do when you have somebody who is permanently, permanently damaged this way? If you think, I'm going to say something, if you think that this is an isolated incident here in Las Vegas, I can tell you it's not. Now, I, uh, my partner, 
Ash Watkins uh, at Sam and Ash Law. She does a number of these high big dollar medical malpractice claims. I'll, I'll tell you, recently she had a client and I'm, I'm prevented from talking about it because there's been a confidential settlement, but I can tell you what his original case was and how it came about. Uh, this is a gentleman who had a uh, very successful business, was very capable, took care of himself, was a brilliant guy, goes into a hospital uh, where they mess up and, and f- f- significantly below the standard of care, uh, wrongfully install a brain shunt that he needs. And they turned him into a 10-second Tom. So just imagine for a minute, you are a brilliant person. You are a multimillionaire. He's a wealthy guy. And they, you go in for a procedure that's, I understand, not without risk, but we find out that the doctors are cutting corners, not doing things right, not following protocol. And what happens ultimately is uh, he, he ends up uh, kind of this, this person who is forever living in the present, if you can imagine um, 10 Second Tom, right? You know, that character or Dory the fish, right? That kind of person, all right? It's terrible. That case, it was all uphill all the way. This, this particular case uh, was um, in California and, and Ashley was on it with a, with a local lawyer here who's a good friend and a, and a, and a true um, excellent medical malpractice attorney. And, and so the, together they, they, they had this case and, and, and did as best as they could with it. If I could tell you what the outcome of it was, you would be, it was a tremendous outcome given the limitations, but it in no way compensated him for everything that he had happen. Now, if an airline pilot screws up and plane crashes and kills everyone on board. There are, there are hundreds of millions of dollars of insurance that comes into play to compensate victims. There are no limits on what a human life is worth when that happens. Why is there special privilege carved out in the law for doctors? And the answer in short is that doctors have a very powerful lobby in every state government, including ours, Our legislature is in session right now, and they are considering further limits on attorneys, those evil trial lawyers going and getting their greedy hands on poor doctors who are just out there saving lives. When I can tell you, by the way, and this is a fact, there are some terrible, and I mean terrible doctors in this town that have no business holding a medical license. And they, uh, it, it's actually, it's, I, I, by the way, anytime I need a, I need a doctor, I always call, uh, I always call my friend Jerry Gillick, uh, who's a, I just mentioned him earlier here, work on that case with Ashley. I always ask him, do you know this doctor? If he doesn't know the doctor, it's a good doctor. And if he says, oh yeah, no, I've, I've sued him five times uh, and, uh, and don't go there, Sam. That's, that's, those are the ones to avoid. But I'll tell you, it, 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 the medicine here is atrocious. And, and, my, and the thinking is, I'll tell you, doctors feel immune. Uh, not the good ones, by the way. The good ones, they're terrified of this because they, they don't have complaints. But the, there's some bad, bad, bad medicine here. And it's killing people. And it's, it's I, I could go on for days about this. So it is something to consider 350 grand. 
350 grand for somebody who's going to be laying there in bed communicating by blinking her eyes, something that was totally avoidable if only the doctors at the hospital followed the rules. Crazy. All right, friends, got to take a quick break. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, be back in just a moment. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the program. Sam Rajofsky here. Ah, they must have been listening to the show. <laughs> Who do I mean? I mean the ladies of The View. Um, <laughs> well, yesterday, yesterday I was uh, going over with you the reaction that DeSantis had to the photograph Trump uh, posted of him with some, well, may have been allegedly underage girls when he was a young a college graduate working at a high school, teaching at a high school in Georgia. Uh, so the I said basically the reaction was, you know, DeSantis didn't let himself get get bothered by it in the least, and just pivoted to saying I'm busy as governor. I'm 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 delivering results for the people of Florida and you know fighting fighting Disney and all these all these other crazy people. And I I don't have time for this. Now, it is so funny because today on The View, uh, they, they brought up the idea of DeSantis and uh, opined as to his survivability against Trump. And so here is, uh, let's see, this was Alyssa Farah Griffin. Says DeSantis will implode today um, in his fight against Trump. Listen to this. On DeSantis, I think he's so overhyped. I'm just gonna be honest. I have seen Trump take out every mini version of Trump for the last five years. I think right now, you know, the party wants someone other than Trump. They want Trump light, so they're boosting and hyping DeSantis. He doesn't do national interviews. He's done nothing on the national stage. I think he will implode once Trump keeps going after him and going after him. I think Trump will implode. I think DeSantis will implode when Trump goes after him uh, uh, and after him. I, I, what did I say yesterday? Well, I said, listen, um, first off, be, be, be wary of any commentator. I said conservative commentators, but I, I suppose we'll throw a liberal ones in there as well. Uh, be wary of any of them who are... Who, make, who are certain that DeSantis is a, a, a non-starter vis-a-vis Trump. Because I was thinking about this more this morning before I saw this exchange, and I had this, I had this thought, and permit me on this, uh, humor me here for a moment. You know, it's, it's starting to seem as though there might be quite a crowded field on the Republican side. There are more and more people kind of whisper announcing that they're considering and exploring races. And so, um, so we, we have a chance really of having a pretty crowded stage in the primaries. There could be, I don't know, there could be 12, 13 candidates potentially at the start of all this. And as a consequence, it's going to be an interesting sight. But just because picture this for a second. You have, what do you have? You've got Trump, who was president. He is an ex-president. He is 
accustomed to being on the stage himself. When he is at a rally, it's him center stage. When he was president behind uh, the microphone with the great seal there of the presidency, it was him. It's going to be challenging and also very diminishing potentially for Trump to have to share a stage, even if he's at the center of it. You know that, right? They, they, they put them on the stage based on how they're doing in the polls. So Trump, you know, at the beginning of the race back in 2015, leading up into 2016, he was, uh, when they did the first uh, debate, he was all the way at the end because he was a one percenter and gradually became a, you know, became a major contender, 30, 30, 40 percent, whatever it was he had, and started to move toward the center of the room. At the beginning, it was, you know, it was Jeb, exclamation point, that was at the heart of it all. So he'll be in the center of the room, but it would just be an interesting thing to see how he is there in a group of people. And it's not just about how Trump attacks DeSantis. It is how DeSantis takes out other opponents or Trump takes out other opponents and how that field will whittle down and narrows down eventually. And I don't think it's a, I just don't see it as a, as a fait accompli that Trump's going to go in there and effectively nuke DeSantis, especially if DeSantis just stands back allows Trump to nuke everybody else and then is the I guess the the other the other alternative to Trump for people who are you know are, are like-minded and 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 like certainly the policies of both men because remember this is not ultimately going to be a game of policy I think their policy will be very similar it's going to come down to personality and so taking the high road that is that is on brand Right. That is that is on brand for for DeSantis. And it is what makes him appealing to a lot, a lot of conservatives out there right now. Now, it doesn't mean that he's leading the pack. It doesn't mean that he's going to win. It doesn't mean anything other than it's not necessarily going to work for Trump to take him out by being a a nuclear a-hole. Right. Because that worked in 16. It is not going to work again. Because there are enough people now that are looking at it and have been burned by this and are not interested in that type of, of, of rhetoric. And I think DeSantis understands that, which is why he's playing it pretty cool. And DeSantis also has the advantage that he's, he's, he's got some very, very sharp-tongued, uh, articulate, well-spoken, and aggressive spokespeople that um, – that have that are just that are phenomenal at delivering these broadsides and attacks but he doesn't have to do it himself and i think this is this is another part of 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 a i i think a very a, a very smart and sound strategy trump likes to do it all himself and he's listen he's good at it and he makes me laugh most of the time i am i'm right there with you i mean i'm i'm loving it up the problem is is that is that is that what works now is that what gets us across the finish line in the primary one thing and then certainly of course in the general election we cannot we cannot folks and i please i am i cannot be more emphatic about this we we cannot assume even if it is joe if joe biden is running for re-election and he, he's the guy we cannot assume 
that it's going to be an easy deal. We can't assume that it's just, it's something that we can just, you know, we're, we're, Trump will easily beat him. It's not the case. Their get out the vote campaign, what the Democrats are going to do in this, they will do everything to win that election. Whether it's Trump, DeSantis, or anybody else, it's, it's, and consequently, we are, folks, it's going to be, this is going to be the battle of battles. So I'll tell you, that's, that's what I think. All right, now, AOC yesterday, well, you know, they're talking about the weaponization of government. And uh, AOC has maybe inadvertently uh, admitted that the um, uh, Hunter Biden laptop is real. So, uh, so we've got that. I'll play that clip for you and then tell you how this is, how this is uh, what's playing out from all this. Because what we have is we have our own government working against us, and that's not okay. All right, friends, got to run. Be back in a moment. News up next. Sam Rajofsky, The What's Right Show, back after this. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, friends, who's having fun? <laughs> I am. I'm enjoying this. Sam Rajofsky here, the host of What's Right Show, here on News Talk 840 KXNT, second hour of our now two-hour show that started this week. Uh, very pleased about that. Of course, we've uh, been together uh, for an hour every day for some time, so now we just get two hours instead of one. I love it. Uh, the show brought to you today by Sam and Ash Injury Law. 702-820-1234 because you deserve lawyers that share your values. Um, all right, so I, I, and I th- I'm going to mention this just briefly because as we talk about stuff happening in the Capitol, uh, in Washington, D.C., here in Vegas, wherever we go across the U.S., crime is up. And there was some uh, sad news that uh, Thursday morning, this morning, uh, a representative, a Democrat from Minnesota, Angie Craig, was assaulted uh, in her, uh, uh, she was returning, uh, coming out of her um, uh, her building where she lives in D.C., and uh, the assailant apparently fled. It was uh, somebody that uh, is not, appeared to be politically motivated, according to her staff. Uh, but I will say this. None of us are safe. I'm, and I tell you, I, my own house uh, broken into uh, just before Christmas here in Las Vegas, dealing with that. I'll tell it is just, it is just, um, crime is up everywhere. So somebody attacked her, left the scene, police are looking for him. And, um, but yes, what we need by all means is more criminal justice reform and going a light on criminals and crazy homeless people and all that because that is what we need. So hope Ms. Craig uh, starts feeling better quickly. Ms. AOC also is not having a day. Now, AOC, of course, uh, otherwise known as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, has been, well, she's been a little bit vocal in some committee hearings over the, well, over the uh, throttling, Twitter throttling of the Hunter Biden story, uh, laptop story. 
And uh, here is, well, let me tell you, for, first off, uh, it, it, to me, it sounded, when I was watching this testimony, it sounded as though uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is a congresswoman representing uh, her district in New York, but also all Americans in the capacity, in her capacity as a congressperson, um, seemed to be totally fine with the government getting involved with throttling and pulling back and stepping on free speech rights. I don't know if she would feel the same way if this was related to a story that was important to her politically, that she would want to get out there politically. So here is, um, here is her uh, talking about this. Uh, just, just, just listen. They were trying to publish it to Twitter Twitter did not let them, and now they were upset. I believe that political operatives who sought to inject explosive disinformation with the Washington Post couldn't get away with it. And now they're livid, and they want the ability to do it again. They want the ability to inject this again. So they've dragged a social media platform here in Congress. They're weaponizing the use of this committee so that they can do it again. So let me see if I understand this. What AOC is saying is, and by the way, she doesn't even get the newspaper right. I, I think she misspoke. She said Washington Post. Uh, it's the New York Post. Uh, the New York Post, of course, wrote about this and said, you know, maybe if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez spent more time in her district, she would know what newspapers exist in her district. Uh, she spends more time in Washington than she does in New York. But that aside... I guess what she's saying here is that this, because the, the news story said allegedly, and because they, they, they used some legal language to make sure that what they were saying wasn't stated as fact, that on that basis, uh, Twitter was well within its rights to stop and block and even take down a site, suspend temporarily an account for a major longstanding U.S. publication. This is, this is tough to wrap my head around. Do you know how many stories in the news media are, talked, are, are spoken about in terms of allegations? I mean, pretty much every, every package of, of criminal charges and criminal conduct that is charged, you have to say it's alleged. So is that the, is that, is that the, new, stat, is that the new status? Is that the new way of figuring out what gets on Twitter and what doesn't? It's absolutely astounding. So I'm gonna putting that right there uh, for your consideration. I think that is a, a, not the correct standard. But then, um, then she goes into overdrive, calling this whole thing a right-wing political organization. A whole hearing about a 24-hour hiccup in a right-wing political operation. That is why we are here right now. And it is, it, it's just a, an abuse of public resources, an abuse of public time. We could be talking about healthcare. We could be talking about bringing down the cost of prescription drugs. We could be talking about abortion rights, civil rights, voting rights. But instead, we're talking about Hunter Biden's half-fake laptop story. If it's half-fake, Congresswoman, does that mean it's also half-true? 
And which part of it is half true? See, I think she half fake laptop story. This is crazy. They want to they want to move and talk about abortion rights, civil voting rights, uh, but they do not want to discuss evidence containing, uh, well, traces certainly, if not if not whole cloth links criminal conduct going all the way up to the sitting president of the United States. This is something that needs to be looked at. This is a big deal. Here is um, Senator Grassley, Chuck Grassley, testifying to the House about FBI whistleblowers, and he alludes to criminal evidence regarding Hunter and James Biden. James Biden is the uh, brother of Joe Biden. Other whistleblower disclosures to my office make clear that the FBI has within its uh, possession very significant, impactful, and voluminous evidence with respect to potential criminal conduct by Hunter and James Biden. These disclosures also allege that Joe Biden was aware of Hunter Biden's business arrangements and may have been involved in some of them. We still aren't sure What's been done with this information? Now, right when the Republicans came, uh, uh, gained control of Congress, uh, even before the speaker, the fight for speaker had uh, concluded, I shared with you that there was a circular going around, a, well, a, um, an advertisement going around that uh, Republican staff at the House of Representatives uh, were, were sitting around Washington with a phone number, a tip line for FBI whistleblowers to come forward and talk about any form of, of um, well, we'll say of, of uh, wrongdoing at the FBI. I'm telling you, there will be agents within the agency that do all of this in and, and come forward and testify ultimately. They're going to find stuff. It's already there. And the FBI for, for, what is it now, two years, has sat on real evidence that, that in any other person, if it weren't Joe Biden, would be criminally charged. Tax evasion, right? <laughs> the influence peddling. Bribery. I mean, it was, it was, if you start linking it all together, there is a significant pay-to-play deal. I've talked about this before extensively. These payments, $50,000 a month by Burisma to make introductions to Joe Biden, who was vice president at the time in the Obama administration, all of it. This all is going to come uh, to light. But, you know, uh, you can have AOC call it a half-fake story all she wants. And get her clips in and, you know, and to get, get her followers to, to applaud and, and love it up. But it's starting to crumble, and I think it's not going to get any better. All right, friends, got to take a quick break. Stay tuned. What's Right Show continues in just a moment. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. Great to be with you. The Chinese spy balloon apparently contained technology that could monitor communication signals on the ground. So I guess they were listening to our phone calls. 
and I, I have a question. I thought basically everyone with TikTok on their phone was already getting uh, monitored up and down by the uh, Chicoms. So, uh, you know, mm, what this is all about, I, I, it, it's, I don't know if they were listening to our phone. There's a reason why the path of this balloon went right over our top military uh, bases with nuclear weaponry and such. So, uh, and again, baffles me, baffles me why we waited so long to shoot it down. By the way, see, you've heard Biden has lately been trying to say that, you know, he, he had put out the word, he wanted it down early on, but was told no. Ah, isn't he commander in chief? I mean, he was told no. You know, for all of his faults, one of the best things about, about Trump was his decisiveness, right? And, and, and incidentally, right, decisive people will keep, are more likely to keep the world safe because decisive people are not perceived in any way to be second-guessers or weakened by uh, having to listen to a lot of uh, voices which are likely to thwart action which is a, uh, an approach that oftentimes is seen as well, as, as helpful to our enemies, right? So this, you know, what China is taking away from this whole balloon deal is that, is that Biden is, you know, is, is not in charge. And the people that are, 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 are weak, you know, they're weak. They lack resolve. And they're most importantly, and this is what's so dangerous, they're predictable. And that absolutely terrifies me. All right, uh, speaking of the Hunter Biden laptop from hell, apparently the House Oversight Committee has requested bank communications records, et cetera, et cetera, from Mr. Hunter Biden. And uh, Hunter has hired a very expensive and high-powered legal team to fight these demands. Now, the scope of the investigation, uh, the relevance for these uh, requests is based in a belief that there was wire fraud committed, tax evasion, and money laundering. Uh, there's other violations as well. Those are the big ones. And so the argument here, the lawyers are coming in, and, and, and the way you fight subpoenas, right, in a civil suit, uh, in a criminal case, everything you, you, you attack relevance, right? So they're they're saying here this is a this is not necessarily a criminal investigation. It's a it's a it's a governmental a house investigation. So it says that this uh, lacks legitimate legislative and oversight basis. Look, um, they're not going to win on this. And it's a can of worms. The Democrats, they, they've lost, they've already lost before they've even gotten started. And the reason is, is they kept fighting Trump for his uh, tax returns and all of his financial documents went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, you can have it. So that's, that's the rule. I mean, you can go through a president's tax records if you believe that there is a basis for uh, a fraud, and, and, and here, we already have the laptop. It, I, I'm telling you, this, this is an effort. This effort will at best only slow it down. 
but will not stop the House's efforts to get this done. And by the way, that's one strategy that they have. They figure, okay, well, maybe the Republicans will only be in charge for two years. So we just got to slow this down for two years and, um, and, 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 and run through, get through all the hoops and make them chase it. It won't get very far. I don't know. I don't know. A lot can happen in two years. So meanwhile, across the way, uh, Jim Jordan uh, today delivered opening comments on the House Committee on Weaponization of Government. Very happy that this is happening. The House Committee on Weaponization of Government. Here is Jim Jordan laying out instances of where the FBI is retaliating against conservatives, even conservatives within the FBI. November 18th, 2021, an FBI whistleblower discloses to Republicans on the House Judiciary that the FBI created a threat tag for parents voicing their concerns at school board meetings. April 26, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI employees are being run out of the Bureau for attending conservative political events. May 11th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that dozens of parents with the threat tag designation to their name are investigated by the FBI. This also happens to be the same whistleblower who said the FBI leadership, not the rank and file members, the FBI leadership is rotted at its core. His clearance has been revoked and he's been suspended. You know, I think more whistleblowers will come forward now knowing that Republicans uh, hold the majority and power in the House. Remember, these whistleblowers came forward back when the Democrats were in charge of the House. These whistleblowers came forward and spoke to the minority Republicans, the Republicans that did not control the House at the time, and came forward with these concerns then. The Republicans, of course, at the time had very little power to advance any of these complaints beyond just putting them in the congressional record. But they're there now. They're in the record. Uh, they're, they're, they, are, they are now recallable. And uh, this is... Uh, this is now going to start to snowball. So here's Jim Jordan continuing talking about the whistleblowers. He keeps going. There's more and more of them. September 14th, 2022, an FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI views the Betsy Ross flag as a terrorist symbol. September 19th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the Washington field office is del deliberately manipulating January 6th case files to make it appear that domestic violence extremism is on the rise. He's been suspended. November 8th, excuse me, November 4th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses the FBI accepts private user information from Facebook without the user's consent, and information is from only the conservative side of the political spectrum. This is only a sampling. In my time in Congress, I have never seen anything like this Remember, Facebook created a portal for the FBI to uh, be able to flag posts that the FBI didn't like. It's scandalous. I've talked about this extensively. It is 100% uh, violative of the First Amendment. The Constitution and the standard for... Uh, any kind of governmental restriction of the content of speech 
right? Not time, place, and manner, but content of speech requires the highest level of constitutional scrutiny. It is simply not allowed. When this matter ultimately gets litigated, if I should say gets litigated, I hope when, uh, there is no doubt what the Supreme Court will say about this. this it's, it's, a, it's fait accompli. I mean, it is, it's done. Any defense to what occurred here is dead on arrival. And the most astounding thing is that it's the Democrats who historically have been, have been the liberal, right? What I read and read that as, as you know, as defenders of, of free expression, shall we say, standing up to, right, government abuses, are now wrapping themselves up in government abuses and are themselves have become the person that they originally loathed, which is this all-powerful, all-knowing, frankly, very bigoted, one-sided, powerful government working against the interests of regular people. It's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. So, uh, you know, and, and Jordan goes, yeah, this is only a sampling. And in my time in Congress, never seen anything like this. And I will tell you, when I went to law school and was first learning constitutional law, the idea of something like this, if it would even be put on, a, on an essay question, it would have been laughed at. It would have been so absurd. Now it's reality. Sam Rajofsky, I'll be back tomorrow. The What's Right show, one more day this week, Friday. Here we go.